Hello and welcome to the Jackass, the Swansea City podcast. I am Gittos Llewellyn and with me as always we have Steve Carroll. How are you Steve? I'm good thanks, how are you? Very good, very good. Um, this uh, week's podcast is a season preview. It is remarkable that we're having to do a season preview this early uh, in the in the summer but with the season kicking off in July this year here we are here is uh, your early treat for the summer and uh, because it's a special episode we've got a special guest um, so I would like to welcome Ian Mitchellmore from the Evening Post and Wales Online how are you Ian? Yeah, very good. Thanks, Kit. So that's a big welcome. Uh, special. I've never been called that before, and not in uh, such kind terms. But no, thanks for having me on, gents. It's a pleasure to join you. But avid listener on the road all the way on the uh, on my way day. So uh, thanks for having me on. That's one way of passing the time on the M4. And we thought it spoiled it for you now, though, because obviously you're not going to listen to this on the way to Rosa, are you? Oh, Christ, no. No chance. Sorry, boys. <laughs> that's one less listener. <laughs> oh, gosh, that's the one gone. There we go. <laughs> There we go. Um, well, um, tonight, today's podcast, we're going to um, have a quick little chat with uh, Mitch about how the season's gone from his point of view, reporting on the uh, on the club. We're then going to look ahead to the big season opener away at Rotherham, uh, and then we will look ahead to the season as as a whole and ask what we've got to expect from the next nine months. I'm sure plenty of excitement, as always. Um, so before we get on to that, uh, Mitch, if it's all right with you, we'll ask you a couple of questions just about your time covering the Swans. How, how long have you actually been uh, down uh, down this way now? So my first day at Wales Online was 3rd of October 2016. And don't ask me how I remember the date, but it was the day Bob Bradley got appointed. So um, you tell me which was worse for Welsh football in Swansea. So... Um, <laughs> Yeah, it was, a, it was a crazy day. Francesco Guidling getting the sack as I was in the lift going upstairs at Media Wills HQ. And then about three hours later, Bob Bradley comes in. And, you know, I, I wasn't a full-time reporter back then, but it was, you know, I was very much covering the Swans, you know, quite, quite often. I'd be doing the old press conference here and there, games and, you know, a bit, a bit of that. But full-time, it was December 2018. So you're looking at midway through Graham Potter's season. So the first one back in the championship, really. And yeah, been full-time since then. Fantastic! It's been uh, an an extremely interesting time to be covering our club. Yeah, you're not wrong there, Gitto. Um, you know, like I say, I must admit, I don't know what you boys felt as a, as as fans because the Premier League was a fantastic ride, but those last couple of years were tough, and and that's pretty much when I came in. It was, you know, some of the football under Paul Clement was was dire to watch, and Carlos Carvial with his quotes. It was there was a bit of fun here and there, but on the whole, it was quite tough, wasn't it? Especially after the the Rogers, the, the Laudrup era, and you know, even the good spells under Gary Monk and stuff as well. So um, to come in under Graham Potter, where there was a lot of excitement in some ways in what was a bad situation, you, you've seen players like DJ, Ollie McBurney, Connor Roberts, they were all getting a chance, and it was quite an exciting time. I must admit, I really enjoyed covering it. And as fans, I imagine you had days a bit like under Russell Martin, really, where there were some days that were horrible to watch and others that were brilliant. So I quite enjoyed it, and then... Yeah, obviously, sadly, he didn't stay as long as people hoped, but you can't begrudge him that because he got a great opportunity with Brighton and you see the great job he's done there now. You know, he's he's a top-notch manager and a, a very nice guy as well. So I'm, I'm, I'm thrilled for him that he's doing so well. But it was a great time to come in. Um, but yeah, those first couple of years in the 2016, 17, 18 was uh, strange, to say the least, having watched uh, from afar the early days of the Premier League and the rise of the divisions. Yeah, sadly, I think uh, there were similar emotions on our end as fans as well, watching uh, watching that period. Um, much of your time as the main uh, reporter on the Swans has been 
well, has coincided with the COVID-19 pandemic, um, which meant, of course, that you were one of the only people that was actually able to go into matches and watch the Swans. What was that whole period like for you? Yeah, it, it was so strange, Gitto. I mean, you know, as fans were desperate to go and I understand it because, you know, we're all the same and we were uncertain ourselves. I remember that last game, the West Brom, the nil-nil and, you know, then the, the COVID kicks in and then, you, you know, May, uh, sorry, March, April, May, you still didn't know what was going on and you're speaking to people at the club the whole time and and even they didn't know and they're at the top of the tree, they'd know everything was happening. So it was just so, so strange. Then when that first game back, it was the, the Middlesbrough, the 3-0 away, where Brewster scored twice, I think. Um, and then the first home one, the Luton game, where they were they're absolutely terrible and lost 1-0. So it was a bit of a, a strange one to go back into that. And, you know, we all know what happened. That Reading, the 4-1 game, was a, I think it was two years ago last week, wasn't it? Um, an absolute travesty that fans weren't there for that. And it was just the silence, everything around it. You know, you're turning up at the ground, there's no atmosphere. You're not allowed in the press room. You can't sort of go and speak to people in person. It was it was just very, very strange. It was like robotic. Everyone wants to throw you out as soon as the game's done because the COVID risk, understandably, there was so many protocols to follow. And But at the end of the day, we were the lucky ones that got to go there and try and report and try and ac- accurately reflect on what was going on. So it was just weird, I must admit. And that, that, I remember that the, um, the Barnsley playoff semi-final uh, last season up at Oakwell where... I think they had, was it 3,000 fans they had in? And then it was the same with the Liberty for the return leg. And it it felt unbelievable. And then obviously at Wembley, there was about 10,000. And, you know, that felt great. And then the game kicked in and it went downhill rapidly. But let's not go into that. Um, <laughs> but it, was just, it, was, it was just bizarre. You know, it, it, I feel for the fans having to watch on streams. And it must have been really, really, really weird. You know, you're paying your good hard money. And, and full credit to the people that left their money in the club. You know, Swansea did the best they could out of a tough situation and the fans bought into it on the whole. I thought they were really good, but it just must have been so weird for them, more so than us, really. Yeah. Did, did you feel an extra degree of pressure because you were kind of reporting, because you were the only pe- person really that was able to go into the stadium on behalf of fans? Did you feel that you were kind of uh, under greater pressure to kind of reflect what was going on at the club because we couldn't go anywhere near the action? Yeah, I, th- I think you're probably all right there, Gitto, because the main reason being you couldn't hear what was going on, what was being done on the dugouts. You know, when you're watching at home on Swans TV or wherever it was, you are so limited in what you can see. And hence why I was never keen to cover matches off the telly. I was always adamant that I, I needed to go. And, you know, luckily I was able to do that. And the, the perspective you get and what you hear from the dugout, that was phenomenal. It was such a good insight. You hear what players on the bench were saying and, they sort of sat where they were in the you know the, the usual dugout where they are now, whereas in COVID times they were sat right in front of us in the press box. So you know you, they were right in front of you. you could hear them shouting, tactile things. Connor Roberts, I mean, he was just hilarious to listen to in um, in lockdown. It was phenomenal. He's every other word was an F and a Jeff. So I, I won't go into that too much. But <laughs> the insight was just phenomenal. You hear what the coaches were saying, and you, even the referee conversations that you don't normally hear that with the crowd noise, even if it's a a smaller ground where you know maybe League Two where there's four or five thousand in. You're talking about the Liberty and places like that where there's you know fifteen, twenty thousand and you know the bigger stadiums as well. It was a massive difference. So it was refreshing to hear all of that. And that in itself gave us some nice little stories and you know gave you more questions to ask the players and Steve Cooper in particular at the time and you know Russell Martin, like I say, but yeah, I think he had a couple of games last season, didn't he? So um but bizarre. It was just so so strange and 
I'm, I'd like to think that we're we're over all that now, but you never know. But I'd like to think that we're uh, over the worst of it now. God, I hope so. I really do. <laughs> um, I, last season, of course, uh, the fans, but also a time of great change at uh, Swansea City. Mm. When when is it not the time of great change at Swansea City? I guess. But how how did you um, see last season? Really, what were your opinions on the campaign as a whole under under Russell Martin? Yeah, I, th- I think these are probably the wrong words to use, but it was a free hit because, you know, Russell Martin came in on, was it August the 1st, about six days before that Blackburn game. And um, I think, were you both there at Ewood Park? It was it was unbelievable, wasn't it, watching that game unfold? I, one of the main things I remember was in the first few seconds, I think Latte Baudier blasted the ball back to Bender and it was an own goal. To <laughs> and I was thinking to myself, you can just tell this team is underprepared here. And like we're going to gift a couple of bad goals today, and obviously there there were one or two instances like that, weren't there? Yeah, exactly. It was it was just chalk and cheese from what you'd seen for the last couple of seasons, and um, you know with it with a couple more months, had the club have functioned as well as they should have. I think that process would have been far smoother, and he'd have had more time, and that first game wouldn't have been as bonkers as it was and in the end you know a 2-1 defeat probably flattered swans in Stephen Bender obviously makes a big mistake to the goal but he made about seven or eight really really top-notch saves in that game but it was just crazy watching that game unfold and I think the whole summer was just the way it was handled I think they got the club got it badly wrong um you know the John Eustace situation everything else you know that was the way that unfolded was you know um, certain aspects of that couldn't be helped, but you know Russell Martin, credit to him, he did what he could with you know limited time. COVID cases knackered the you know in August. I think Flynn Downs, Carl Norton, key players got COVID and stuff, and you just thought when's it going to ignite? And then when it finally did ignite, they had I think they won four out of five. The time where they won the three nil at home against Cardiff, Coventry away, those sort of games, and they were getting to that third game in the week and the players look absolutely spent and you just wondered, like, when are they ever going to turn the corner? And it never really seemed to come, did it? But the second half did improve that nine-game unbeaten run. I think there was only three or four wins in that run, though. There should have been more wins. The, the Bournemouth at home, 3-0 up and not winning. Reading away was, oh, how they didn't win that, I'll never know. Um, but they'll be all the better for those experiences and that's the key because it was such a transition. You lose... Look at the players that went, you know, Andre Ayew, Mark Gurhi, Freddie Wooden, and these are top-notch players. And um, it was always going to be a big ask for them to come anywhere near that top six or even the top half. So on the whole, it was a transition. The players are better for it now, and hopefully they'll hit the ground running. You know, what is it, one win in the first eight last season? Whereas you look at this summer, you know, with the fixtures, the way they panned out, you'd like to think they'll get, you know, far more than that this time around. Fingers crossed. What is the mood around the club um, over the summer? I mean, we've got quite a bit of our transfer win- uh, work done early on in the season. Um, you know, depending on how you how much you read into friendly results, I mean, they've been a little bit mixed, but um, you know, there've been plenty of calls um, at both ends. Um, what what's the vibe that you're getting from the club at this stage? Are people generally happy with where we are? I guess it's it's got to be better than where we were this time last season. Yeah, nail on the head there, Gitto. It's, it's it's far better than it was a year ago. Bear in mind, Russell Martin wasn't even in at this point last year, so that's how mad it was. Um, the mood seems good. I think Russell Martin's played it down a lot in terms of targets and promotion, whatever way you want to look at it. And ironically, we were at Charlton on Saturday and we asked Russell Martin about it. And, and he just said, you know, we take it game by game. I know it's a cliche, but I don't blame him for doing that. 
And then about 10 minutes later, we interviewed Jamie Patterson and he said the aim's promotion. So let's be honest, that shows you what the aim is. You know, if you've had a full season under this system with the styles of the players that have come in, they're all suited to this style and it should benefit the squad. But realistically, if you're in the championship, your aim is top six, isn't it? You look at Luton last year, Huddersfield, these sort of teams, even like your Middlesbrough's QPRs, they were all in the mix. Um, so that's got to be the aim. Swansea will be better than they were last year. I've got no doubt about that. Whether they can make that top six, I I don't know. It's a million dollar question, but I, I, I get the sense that the vibe is good. The players feel in a better place physically. Fitness is better. And, you know, you're going into that Rotherham game feeling like they should go in there and win. Whereas at Blackburn, I didn't have a clue what to expect. And, you know, like say, um, Steve alluded to it there. It was just heart in your mouth every 30 seconds. It was bonkers. But we know what to expect now. And fans have been patient. Credit to them. It's not been easy. So I think there's far more expectation. And uh, the players are probably under a bit more pressure to deliver this year. And so are the coaches, especially Russell Martin. But I think they can deliver on it. That's my own opinion. But I, th- I think they're better placed. And in terms of um, transfers, I think we've seen um, on social media anyway, which is also always a bastion of wisdom, uh, a few um, a few gripes recently, maybe uh, increasing concern about the lack of right wing backs um, at the club. Um, are you getting any kind of steer on what the main aims are before the end of the window for the club and kind of what the what the main objectives are from now on? Yeah, so if you're talking purely in terms of transfers, wing-back is a glaring priority. I mean, you know, you, you lose Hannes Wolf and Cyrus Christie, who were both starters last season. It leaves you with Joel Latabaudier, Ryan Manning, who can play there. And then, of course, they brought in Matty Sorinola, who, um, um, I'll give you this one, I'm sure you probably knew anyway, but they were trying to get him on a permanent, which um, fortunately couldn't be done, but they've done still done well to get him on a loan, I think. So, um that would have been a great bit of business. I feel if they could have got him on a say a three-year deal, but yeah, they, they clearly need more in that area. And you know, the the Nat Ogbetter situation is an odd one. Um he's turned down from what we heard um in the last week or so, three offers to leave. Um, probably a League One club, but he's got he's got a lot of interest as well. And he just doesn't seem to fit in the plans. And it shows you how behind the scenes how much of a mess that January window was, you know, even though they did get in two really good players in Cyrus Christie and Hannes Wolf. Um but that deadline day was just a bit of a mess and, you know, they paid the price for it. They could have excelled in that second half. They did improve, I think, but they, they could have done far better than they did. So, yeah, wing-back's clearly a priority and they will get one in, maybe even two, but they'll definitely get one in. And then you probably look at that centre midfield there is a, a priority, isn't it? You know, losing Flynn Downs is huge. Bringing in Joe Allen, I mean, what a great bit of business. I feel that is two-year deal and, you know, you boys as watch him in his first spell. I, I don't know you on the... The hype train, maybe do you feel these, I've never passed it, but, you know, it's it's always one of those bringing old players in. It's, there's got a risk, but I I, you know, I just feel that's a phenomenal piece of business to bring in on a two-year deal on a free transfer. But you still need more, I think, with Jay Fulton's situation. I think they're still keen to get him off the wage bill. Liam Walsh is injured till, you know, you look in January, February, maybe he's not available till March, April, probably won't play anyway. So realistically, nothing's going to happen with him till next summer. So... I think wing back, centre mid, and then obviously it depends on what happens with um, the Ryan Bennett's, the the other lads, maybe the, the Jordan Garricks, your Carl Joseph. Hopefully they get the loans that they need, um, and hopefully they keep all the Joel Pirro. I think uh, that's the key one to it all, really, isn't it? Yeah, I was going to ask you there. You know, we, we spoke there about playing. 
I think we'd like to see leave the likes of Ryan Ben and to free up a bit of cash um, in terms of wages. But of course, a lot of the focus has been on um, Joe Pirro in in particular. Some have had concerns perhaps that Michael Obafemi's form may, may attract some attention. Those are the two key players in an attacking sense anyway. What are the chances that they're still going to be here at the end of the window, in your opinion? Are you hearing that there is a possibility they could move on? Yeah, I mean, you touched on it in your column for us. Was it, uh, it was the most recent one? It was on Saturday, wasn't it? Get, um, with, with Obafemi and Piro. I mean, you know, Obafemi's transformation has been crazy. I mean, what we were first hearing from him, at the club, it, it didn't sound encouraging at all. And you just thought, oh, what's going on here? And he wasn't getting the starts that you thought he was going to get, you know, £1.5 million signing from Southampton. Credit to him, he's worked so, so hard. And he's he got that goal against, was it Blackburn, the, the second one after he scored that first one at um, Birmingham away. And he just sort of, he had a new lease of life. And moving Joel Pirro deeper was a master stroke. And he carried on scoring goals as well, which was great. Um, so undoubtedly he's going to get interest, isn't he, Obafemi? But he's got a good contract. He's got, I think, is it two years left? And so is Joel Pirro. He's definitely going to have interest this summer, even after Flynn Downs going. But with that Downs move, it just puts him in such a stronger position. You know, if I, I was really worried about Joel Pirro, I thought he was nailed on to leave, and I thought they were going to sell him for it was going to be another Joe Roden, where they sold him well below his price. But I'd like to think that wouldn't happen now. Russell Martin's even gone on the record saying that. I think I did a piece after the, uh, which game was it? It was the Plymouth game um, uh, two weeks ago in pre-season where he said, you know, they're far more confident in keeping hold of him now. Let's be honest, every player's got a price, haven't they? But, um, you know, if they got an offer of 11, 12 million for Joel Pirro, well, you would like to think they turn that down. Let's be honest, lads, you've, you've seen it over the years. With these owners, you never know. But... Like to think they'd hold out for you know if it was 12 13 offer would they hold out for 15 16 17 i'd like to think yes you never know but if you ask me what three four weeks ago when flynn downs was still at the club well i'd have been terrified that pira would have gone for 10 11 million and, and that would have been it so i don't think that'll happen anymore that's my gut feeling anyway yeah from my point of view i mean i look at the situation where dan james left three years ago about 15 million wasn't it i think mm. and then obviously that put us in a stronger position to say no to those first few ollie mcburney bids obviously it went to 20 million and then we decided we couldn't say no so you'd like to think we knew that the swans are going to take the, the similar viewpoint of we've got somebody out the door we're now not absolutely desperate to sell so let's at least make sure that we're not accepting the first couple of offers and the price goes more in the direction that we think he's worth so then if we do get what we consider to be value for money then fair enough. But like you say, we shouldn't be selling for 10, 11 million, should we? No, not at all, Steve. I think you're bang on there. I mean, if someone comes in with 15, 16, I'd understand them considering it and maybe even accepting Is it worth his? Is that his value? I don't know. But I think they realistically want Ollie McBurney money. You're looking around the 18 million mark before add-ons. So whether they get it is another matter. But like you say, with that Flynn Downs money, it's it's no longer a desperation to sell because they had to sell someone this summer. Um, so once those add-ons come in for Flynn Downs, you're probably looking anything from 11 to 12 million, maybe more. Um, yeah, I'd like to think that they will stay unless, um, you know, a Brighton or a Leicester, someone like that comes in for him and offers really serious money. And then, you know, if that happens, you can't begrudge the owners taking that. I think that's just sensible business, isn't it? But until that happens, you've, you've got to stand to your guns, I think. Yeah, definitely. I agree with that. 
Uh, it'll be interesting to see what happens if, say, Piro starts the season on fire and keeps scoring the way he has, you know, last season in preseason. Will that maybe just, you know, draw a little bit more attention from Premier League clubs? Because I, I, I'd imagine, you know, clubs are perfectly aware of Piro. I mean, they've got to know about him now, scouting the way it is these days. Um, I just wonder if there are a couple of clubs just waiting to see how he starts the season, just to see if there are any signs of second season syndrome. And if if he starts the season well, are we going to see a few late bids? That's that's what I'm slightly scared of. But we'll uh, we'll wait and see. Steve, just in terms of the remaining uh, transfer window, there's a long way to go until uh, September 1st. What do you think needs to be done between now and that window closing to uh, to, to complete? the job well the right wing back is obviously the priority if i'm honest i'm a bit frustrated by the club's stance of still one out one in now i do understand that to a point but i think for a right wing back there should be an exception because we really are crying out for one i think in the other positions that you could argue that then we would have a good first 11 and it would be more a depth issue than anything else in certain positions like center midfield being the obvious one and you know if Perot was to go then there'd have to be a replacement there, for example. And, you know, a wing-back, arguably, we, we do need more than one. But we, we need to get one in, I would say, fairly quickly now. I mean, we're a matter of days away from the start of the season. And, you know, we, we haven't done that yet. And that, that does leave me frustrated. I don't want to be seeing Lata Baudier playing in that position that Rotherham on Saturday. But I get the feeling that is going to be the case. So, you know, there's definitely, that's the main priority. Probably another one in that position. Central midfield and then... We're looking really in terms of what do we well if anybody else goes really so but I do think one to eleven if we take out the wing back issue we're in quite a good position I think if everybody's fit obviously I know Joe Allen probably isn't going to certainly isn't going to start on Saturday but once he is available and fit then you know I think our one to eleven will be nearly anybody game. Yeah, I'd agree with you there. I mean, looking at the options, obviously, like you said, Allen's coming back to, to fitness now. Cabango's, um, well, according to Russell Martin, going to be involved in some capacity against um, Rotherham, they hope, which is a massive boost because I think we saw when, when he got his injuries, um, it, well, when he was injured towards the end of last season, I think we saw the, the impact not having him in the team. Uh, had on on our defensive capacity really it um, it turned into a real mess once um once once he was went out to the team um yeah i mean mitch it it feels like we're very nearly approaching our full strength team as uh, as the season approaches just a couple of gaps left to fill yeah pretty much i think you you boys nailed it there it's, it's the wing back is that's a big big problem at the moment i feel you know i do quite like ryan manning at left wing back and if you put him there and you have Matty Sorinola, because he, he played on the right all through preseason. Um, I think first half he played on the left on Saturday at Charlton, and then he swapped over on the in the second half. And oh, sorry, it was the other way around actually. Um, so you can play on both sides. So it's not a case of bringing in a right wing back. It's just a case of bringing in a wing back if they're versatile. Like I think Cyrus Christie played on both sides last season as well, didn't he? So somebody like that who can do that job and is both you know ambidextrous and play with both feet. It's you are, I think you are, like you said, you are suddenly looking at a very, very good 11 with some really good backup options. Maybe the sort of three or four subs, you're looking at maybe a Ryan Manning, Olivier Cham, Cam Congreve, who, by the way, what an assist on Saturday. I love that. Um, but yeah, I think there's, there's 
probably still one or two more that definitely needs to come in to make it a really good squad. Because I think at the moment it's a, a good 12, 13, 14. It's not a good sort of 17, 18, is it? No, I think that's a, a fair assessment. Let's uh, let's look ahead now to Rotherham. Uh, Saturday, uh, our first game of the season. Weird they're taking place in July, but that's the way this season is uh, is going to pan out. Um, Steve, you're you're going up to um, to Rotherham for this match. I mean, they were promoted last season in second place, um, only by a point. They got run very close by the MK Dons um, towards the end of the season. Surprisingly so, because they had a a very handsome lead um, at one point, but they they just about got across the line. Um, what? Do, how do you feel about playing a promoted team uh, on the first day of the season? Is it a good or a bad time to to play a team that's still that's kind of adapting to a new league? Um, I don't think it's a bad fixture to be honest. I mean, you can always say that when a team going into an, uh, a higher division, they'll all be massively up for it, but. I'm not sure if quite the buzz will be there for Rotherham in the way it would be for, I don't know, maybe for Sunderland, for example, because Rotherham effectively do a Norwich and a Fulham, don't they? They keep bouncing between the Championship and League One. So I don't think there'll be like that type of excitement there on on Saturday. I mean, obviously, they'll be, I'm sure they'll be confident within reason. And if I'm being honest, I actually think they were quite unlucky to get relegated a couple of years ago. Remember that they had a, they've seen like one of the better sides that I'd seen. And I remember on the final day, watching the highlights, that they played really well at Cardiff and conceded at the end. And that obviously was what was the final nail in the coffin. But um, I'm not, I don't think it's a bad fixture. I, I actually think the Swans opening few games are quite reasonable and there's a good chance of points on the board. And I, I'd like to think that Saturday definitely represents, uh, you know, a, a chance of a positive result. And I, I think it's a winnable game. Like you said there, Steve, the last six seasons, uh, Rotherham have either been promoted or relegated. Uh, they've just been bouncing back and forth, which is a crazy record. Imagine being a Rotherham fan. I mean, you get promoted and that celebration, and then you just know, yeah, next season we're going to be probably coming down again. Um, and I think that, that from what I gather, is kind of the expectation again this season. I don't think they are anticipating a change to that. I think they'll be very, very happy if they can just stay up this season. Um, Mitch, are you going along with Steve there? Do you think it's um, it's it's a good good way to start the season away at a club like Rotherham? Yeah, I think it is. Um, I think they're the early bookmakers' favourites to go down. So, um, you know, I know you can never read too much into that, but you look at their squad on paper with the championship experience they've got in there, there's not a lot in there. Dare I say, I was just um, glancing at the squad um, this afternoon when you asked me to come on. I think they've just signed Tom Eaves, who scored that in that horrible game up at Hull um, last season. Obviously, he's just gone back to Rotherham. Uh, were you up there for that one? I think you were, Steve, the, the 2-0 at Hull in uh, January. No, thank God. I uh, was not there. <laughs> terrible record at Hull. I've been three times. The only goal I've seen was a consolation in the last minute. Yeah, it's um, oh. yeah, Hull is not one I like to go to. I've looked at the fixtures this year and... The, in the last three games, we've got Holloway and Norwich away. So if we end up in mid-table, I can tell you right now, there's not a chance of you going to either of them. <laughs> <laughs> I don't blame you, mate. But no, Tom Eves that day, he's um, you know he's just a, a physical, tall player, target man. And he's the kind of player on his day who could really have a lot of joy against Swansea's defence. And when, when I saw he'd gone to Rotherham, I thought, oh, God, it was that sort of sinking feeling. But no, I, I've got to feel the same as Steve. It's, I think it's a... Good fixture to have. If you can go there, 
play the way they want to play, you know, someone's going to dominate possession. They'll probably, I'd be surprised if they have less than 60, 65% of the ball. It'd probably be closer to 70. You want to see them play on the front foot like they did at Charlton in the second half, create chances. And, you know, with Piro, Obafemi, Patterson on song now as well, and Cham off the bench, Lewis pace. There's, there's, there's goal scorers there. So you'd like to think they'll go up there, put on a show, and hopefully if they can start with a bang, it just lifts that confidence ahead of that home game against Blackburn. And, you know, suddenly the Jack Army come into that home game really sort of buzzing. And, and before you know it, you've got a bit of momentum. So I, I think it's a perfect kind of game. You, you don't really want to be playing a, a Burnley or a Norwich where you're underdogs and, you know, you know you're going to be up against it with a team that are sort of well-established and have got a lot of quality in there. Um, on paper, Swansea are a better team than Rotherham. There's no disrespect to them, but like you said, they've, there's a reason they've gone up and down for the last six years, which is a great start, by the way, Gitter. I expect, expect nothing less from you, but um, <laughs> I think it's a good way to start, I think. Yeah, I mean, you spoke there about Tommy. Was, I, I agree with you. I think that's a, that's a really good signing for a club like Rotherham. He is just a handful. Uh, you know, not, I don't know how many goals he's going to score in a season. I don't think he's going to be prolific, but but he, he will make life very difficult for your defenders. And um, yeah, he's a difficult one to handle. But he's actually, they're in a weird situation, Roger, because they've come up from League One, but they've lost the two top scorers. So Michael Smith's gone to uh, Sheffield Wednesday and Freddie Ladapo, um, who was with them last time they were in the championship and, and was, I think, pretty decent the last time we, we played them, actually, that 3-1 game up uh, um, in the COVID season. Uh, he's gone to Ipswich as well. They've also lost Higwe, um, who was um, a big defender for them. Um, so they've lost a couple of key players after after winning promotion, um, which is a bit of a weird one, Steve. But I, I'll be honest, it just, again, feeds into the sense that actually this is a good time to play Rotherham um, because, you know, it, things just don't don't seem to be quite as you'd expect for a newly promoted team. I don't sense that they've got that same excitement that, that say, a Sunderland would have, or maybe even a Wigan, um, who's another team that's that's gone up and down in, in the last few years. Um, yeah, it's, it's weird that they've lost some key players over the summer just when, you know, they've gone up. And the players they brought in, apart from Tom Eves, I mean, they've brought, brought in Connor Washington, who's never been particularly you know, proven really at this level. I don't think he's ever really done it in the championship. Um, I wasn't, you know, I had a decent season last year in League One, but statistically at least didn't set the world of light. They've brought Peter Chioso in from Luton, decent signing, but nothing uh, on the face of it. You can make a decent argument that they've actually got weaker since winning promotion. Yeah, it looks like it, doesn't it? I mean, a striker leaving there to go to Sheffield Wednesday. Now, don't get me wrong. Sheffield Wednesday obviously are by far the bigger side. And it is very close to Rotherham, isn't it, geographically? I think there's only about 10 miles in it or something, if that. But at the end of the day, if a player's left Rotherham to go to Sheffield Wednesday when they're in the division lower, it's quite insulting, really. And it probably shows a lot about what that player maybe thinks about their long-term prospects. And, you know, obviously, financially, there was there may have well have been more money on the table as well. But, yeah, it probably doesn't bode particularly well for, for Rotherham, does it, in that sense? Um, like I say, I think it is... It is quite a good fixture to to have on the opening day. I mean, you'd you'd like to be at home, I think, ideally. But I think this isn't it something like since 2005 we've only had two home games. I think on the opening day, it's something crazy like that. And we we're always away without fail. It seems on the opening day, and uh, you know that uh, that run has continued, doesn't it? 
Yeah, I'm not. I'm not this year. I'm not too bothered that we're away on the f- first day of the season because um, I've got a family wedding to go to on Saturday. So I'd have missed the game anyway. So uh, at least it's an away game that I'm missing, and not and not a home one. Um, Mitch, um, going to put you slightly on the spot here because there is a slight elephant in the room with um, with Rotherham. Earlier on the season, there was some talk online that we were being linked with Chidozi or Bene. Um, who's a, a very good wide player for um, for Rotherham? Did really well last season. Um, has been playing for Ireland as well. Have you heard if there's anything in that at all, or if it's just internet talk? Yeah, he's. Let's be honest. He, he he's definitely an option. Um, I think the key thing was. I'm sure you saw his quotes when he was on Ireland duty. Um, it was as much of a come and get me play as you could ever see from a professional footballer. You know, he's. I think he was supposed to be out of contract in June. They triggered his extension, so he's got 12 more months. But realistically, he's looking higher than Rotherham. You've just addressed it there with the, you know, you, you don't leave Rotherham to drop into League One to go to Sheffield Wednesday if you're not sort of entirely, you, you, you don't do that if you're backing Rotherham to be a success in the Championship, do you? So I think he knows he's above that level and, you know, he's a good Championship player. He's got international experience. So he ticks a lot of boxes for Swansea who are looking for a, a wing back. Last year, it was deal financially, they can make it work. But yeah, it sounds like I think Rotherham are playing a bit hardball there. So whether he's the prime option now, I must admit, I don't know. But is he an option? Yes, absolutely. So whether it'll happen, time will tell. Um, but they've certainly had to draw a, a big list because, you know, they explored Cyrus Christie, uh, Hannes Wolf. They were never realistic, but they were always options. and did well. Marcus Harness was another one, which I think they quickly realised is probably not the best option, but it was explored. Um Ogbeni probably makes the most sense in terms of the entire package. Financially, you'd like to think you'd get him on a good deal, on a good contract. Um, he's not the youngest, so that's another sort of maybe a downside because I think the Russell Martin particularly wants young players that they can develop and sell them for big, big profits like your Flynn Downs, Obafemi's, Cabango's, Joel Piro's. But um, yeah, to answer your question, get going around the houses there. But yeah, definitely an option. Whether it happens, I, I'm not too sure at this stage. But yeah, he's um, he's certainly been looked at. I'd love it if that happened. That would be a hell of a signing, I think. Um, would really suit this team. Um, right, let's get on to predictions. Um, Rotherham have won their last three opening day fixtures, by the way. Um, if you think that has any kind of bearing on this kind of fixture, uh, I don't know. That's up to you. But Steve, do you think they're going to make it four opening day wins in a row? No, I'm. Um, I know I'm not usually Mister Optimistic, but I'm going to say two-one for the Swans. I think we're going to win. Mitch, are you uh, matching Steve's optimism? I'm not matching it. I'm going one better, mate. I think it's going to be. Uh, uh, I, I'm never going to say comfortable, but no, I, I fancy the Swans. Um, I'll go two-nil. Wow. Joe, you know I'm. I'm going to go possibly one step. I, I'm going to say it's it's 3-1. I, I fancy, I just feel possibly this is a good time to play Rotherham. Um, maybe they won't quite be ready for it. I, I hesitate to say that because it's it, it's never easy when you play against Rotherham. You know, Paul Wall's a good manager, gets the most out of his players and, and whatever team they, they have available, they're going to be hard working. But oh, I, just, I just hope we've got that kind of edge going into this game. And, you know, with Obafemi and Piro playing up front, they can score against absolutely anybody. So I'm hoping that they'll have their shooting boots on for this one as well and we can get the season off to a good start. And with that in mind, let's look ahead to the season as a whole um, and ask what can we expect, not just from the Swans, but from from, from uh, the rest of the division as well. I mean, Mish, what, what do you think? You said there that, you know, 
Jane Patterson said the aim is promotion. Do you think that's a realistic aim for the Swans this season? I definitely think it's an aim. Um, I would never... I think I probably had more confidence in the teams of the last two seasons, well, the, the two seasons under Cooper, where you always felt, yeah, playoffs is is possible. Whereas now I'm not entirely convinced that they would nailed on. That said, in my pre-season supplement, this was written about two weeks ago, so I actually said they'd finish sixth, and I thought they would have done a bit more business by now. Um, those four players they brought in, was it Soren Ola, Nathan Wood, Harry Darling and Joe Allen, you know, the, I think that's really good business. Um, but I thought they'd have had one or two more in by this sort of Rotherham game. And I think they've just been caught up with these exits. You know, you're Ryan Bennett, you Jay Fulton's, and then the fringe lads as well. So um, maybe I'd probably slip towards that sort of eighth, ninth bracket, maybe just outside the playoffs. I think they'll be in contention at stages this season, maybe for long periods as well. Um, but that depth might just kill them. You know, if you lose one or two players in the season, it could be tough. So they're well-placed. I think they're going to be far better than they were last season. And like you say, if they can go to Rotherham, get a win, Joe Allen then comes back in, Ben Cabango comes back in, bring in maybe one or two more. And suddenly it's looking like a really good squad. So you never know. I think they'll be in the mix. Um, whether they can get that top six, it's going to be nip and tuck, I think. Steve, are you sensing that fans are generally optimistic going into the season? Do you think there is a feeling among fans that that there could be... Um, good times ahead over the coming months? Um, I think it's a tricky one. I think uh, the truth is when it, when it comes to predictions, isn't it, it's far easier to give them on maybe the 1st or the 2nd of September, isn't it, when you know exactly what you've got for the next uh, few months at least. And obviously at that point, you've played a few games as well, so you can make judgments on that. So we're a little bit blind at the moment, aren't we? Because a lot could change still before the transfer window shuts. But I do think we're in a, a better position than we were last season. We've you know, we've addressed some of our issues, not addressed all of them. I think some of the things we've done behind the scenes have been good as well. Obviously, we brought in a, a set-piece coach, which I would <laughs> say was a very good move because that was a weakness last season. So I, I was pleased with that. Yeah, I, I think there's, there are grounds to be optimistic, aren't there? But, I mean, if Joel Perot gets sold on deadline day and then isn't adequately replaced, then that optimism will be, you know, uh, will go down quite a bit, I would have thought. So... That's what we're we're up against, isn't it? But I do feel like we're we're in a, a reasonable position. I think if we are going to bring in another couple, certainly in the wing back position, then we would have a chance of pushing for the playoffs. But I mean, it's it's still just up in the air at the moment, isn't it? So you know, but I I think we can feel optimistic. Definitely more optimistic than this time of year ago, anyway. You're right there, actually. You know, we you would think that the eve of the the se- the se- big season kickoff then would be the perfect time to make a, a prediction, but because of the way the transfer window works, etc., you don't really know. But um, we I was asked to um do a prediction, um or kind of uh, answer questions for um four four two season preview. Uh, but they asked me it basically like a week or two after the end of the last season. So it's just like, how do you expect me to answer these questions? We hadn't bought anybody, we hadn't sold anybody. You know, we didn't know what was going to happen. Um, so yeah, um, yeah. If you're if you're buying that preview, sorry if I've written something. But I've literally bought it today, and I was going to say I've, <laughs> they've asked me before, and I remember they asked me at the end of June, I think, and I'd given a prediction of like staying up comfortably in the Prem. But at this point, we just signed Tammy Abraham. We still have the Red Thea and Sigurdsson. And I'm thinking, well, there's definitely goals in this team. And then obviously, oh. I'm within the window of shot. 
Uh, Gibson has been replaced by Sam Klukas and Lorette and Dolman. You're thinking, oh, okay, we might be in trouble here, boys. <laughs> and a slightly crocking Wilfred Boney as well. Oh, yeah, a, a Wilfred Boney that was not quite what he was. <laughs> that was such a bad, bad window. It was absolutely appalling. Um, but we're not we're not looking back over that now. We're, we're concentrating on the future and hopefully brighter a brighter future than um, that than we go on to have that season. So. Um, Mitch, when you look across the league, um, who are the teams that stand out for you as potential promotion candidates? Um, and is, you know, over, I think over the past few seasons, there have always been like one or two teams that you say, oh, they'll definitely be among, you know, the top three or four there. Do you sense that there's a team like that in this season's championship? Uh, not compared to previous seasons. Um, I must admit, Fulham were just far superior last year and it was it's blindingly obvious they were going to be up there in the mix and even Bournemouth to an extent as well. And, you know, you look at the way they strengthened through the season, they were always going to be tough to compete with. Um, but this year, I think, I, I don't think there is a nailed on cert to be in the top two. Um, if I was going to pick someone, I'd probably go for Norwich purely because of the, you know, Tamer Puki, the style, the way they are. And they've got a good squad there as well. So if I was going to pick someone to be up there, it'd be them. But Burnley, a little bit of an unknown quantity under Vincent Company. Um, sold a lot of key players as well. You, you Ben Nees, Tarkovskis, they've been stalwarts there for a, a long time. So it's going to be tough. But if you, you know, I look beyond those teams that came down, I think Sheffield United had a great chance because they were great to watch under Paul Heckingbot for long spells. And, you know, as much as it was awful to watch from Swansea's perspective, when they played against Swans at Bramall Lane, the 4 0, Morgan Gibbs White was excellent. And obviously he's gone back to Wolves. But as a squad, they look very good. Um, he's coached them really well. So I think they're probably the ones that have been established in the championship. I tip to maybe crack that sort of maybe top two, but certainly top six. Um, but I don't think there's a cert to be in, in that top two. I don't know what you boys think, but in previous years, it seems to have been a bit more obvious. Yeah, that's kind of how I'm seeing it as well. I, I Last season, I kind of looked at my, uh, there was a top four that I picked. I couldn't see anybody else finishing in the top four other than Fulham, uh, who else? Bournemouth, uh, Sheffield United, and West Brom. Now, obviously, West Brom had a nightmare season, and Sheffield United had to, you know, claw it back late on in the season. But you know, Fulham and Bournemouth were both in the top two. Um, I don't really see as obvious an option this time around, partly because I don't think the relegated teams are quite as strong. Um, like you point out, there, Burnley have lost their, you know, so many of their key players. Really, you know, Pope. Tarkovsky, me, Collins, that's that's what their success was based on. The Premier League really was a great goal and a solid defence. Um, to lose those and replace them with youngsters unproven with a new system, I don't it feels very Graham Potter Swansea, um, if I'm being honest. Um, so I, I'm not convinced by Burnley. Um, I agree with you. I, I think Sheffield United are my early season favourites. I think they've got a decent squad even without Gibbs White. I just question the manager there, whether he's got what it takes to get them into the top two. Um, the other team I'm putting up there, Watford. But again, you don't know what kind of squad they're going to have by the time the window closes. Um, you know, they could end up losing a few key players. I don't think their squad is quite probably as good as it was the last time it was in the championship when, you know, individual quality alone was good enough to take them back up automatically. Um, and if I'm looking for a third team, maybe to go up through the playoffs, I'm tempted to go for Borough. Um, Chris Wilder is obviously a brilliant manager and he 
turn things around there last season. They probably should have made the playoffs, but couldn't quite sustain it. The only thing with them is goals because they don't really have strikers at the moment. But you, you'd have to think that there will be a striker coming in there. And I'd expect them to be in the top six anyway, even if they can't make the top two. Steve, uh, uh, who are you looking at as um, the potential promotion candidate? I think you've named most of them, really. I mean, I think what is tough for the likes of us this year is there's actually five teams with parachute payments. You've obviously got the three that have come down, Norwich, Watford and uh, Burnley. And then you've got Sheffield United and West Brom as well. So, I mean, when you think about it, if those five get their acts together, you know, they should all finish in the top six, really, shouldn't they? So then that does make it quite tough. But, I mean, I, I agree with what you're saying about Burnley, for example, though, because obviously they've had to make changes, haven't they, because of their financial situation and you know there's probably going to be one or two more that leave there so they would be an interesting one and obviously they, they have appointed Vincent Company who is a little bit more unknown maybe than than some of the other managers I mean he, he was at Anderlecht when it didn't go brilliantly um you know you've got a fancy Norwich haven't you they, they're just the masters at it um they, they they'll be in there for sure I would have thought Watford as you say I mean I think Sheffield United the key thing is that you, you look at them they've always got goals in them haven't they I mean I think the likes of Brewster haven't really hit the heights there that they may be expected, but maybe his time will come out pretty sharp. I mean, I know he's getting on a bit, but he's always banging in goals, isn't he? I think West Brom have done some some decent business with the likes of John Swift has gone there on the free, isn't he? So that's uh, that's a good one, I think. But they've got Steve Bruce. They have. <laughs> I, I Steve Bruce is as bad as what like people yeah, think. It was, it was quite uninspiring at, at Newcastle, but I mean, his record in this division in general has always been quite good so you know I, I and you know if, if it doesn't go that great always got to remember a bit like with Sheffield United last year with Jokanovic which I thought was a good appointment and it proved not to be the case you can just sack them and get someone else in which is inevitably what Watford are going to do if it doesn't go great for Rob Edwards isn't it because that is the standard default Watford move so you know I think I can't really look past those clubs but you know I do think that there often is a surprise in this division I mean we don't know when I do think we do have a chance of the playoffs in, in the right circumstances. So, you know, certainly from our point of view, I think we it, it will be tough if all those sides get their act together. But, you know, that in this division, there's usually somebody that does cock up. So we'll just have to wait and see, I suppose, won't we? Yeah, speaking of uh, teams that cock up, let's stop down to the bottom three now. Let's... Uh... Let's revel in some clubs' misery. Let's hope as well the Swans aren't involved at this end of the table. But, uh, Mitch, who are the teams that you're tipping uh, to struggle? Oh, yeah, just going back to that one Steve was saying there, I think we forgot to mention Preston. I mean, I thought they were good in spells last year, and I love Ryan Lowe, but look at the business they've done. I mean, Freddie Woodman, you know, uh, Ben Woodburn, players that have got points to prove in some ways. Robbie Brady experienced at that level. I think they've just had Troy Parrott as well, so... Yeah, we probably should have mentioned them as well. But yeah, in terms of the bottom, um, I think Rotherham have got to be in that mix, haven't they? Um, I, I see them struggling. Probably Wigan as well. I think they're going to be in and around. I know I know this might sound a bit sloppy just picking the teams that have come up, but I just don't see where they're going to get the goals. And um, Yeah, I, I certainly think Rotherham will be in there. And then you're looking at Reading, probably it depends how they get on with. It's been such a tough transfer window for them. They've still made some... You know, they've done some good business there, but it's just how they get on with, you know, Paul Ince as well. He's got a point to prove there, hasn't he? Because he only came in through last season. So I think they'll be down there. Bristol City are another one that's hard to tell with them. Um, so I think you're looking at sort of a cluster of about five, maybe even six, 
you know, we, we saw it last season, Cardiff. I mean, they've had a complete overhaul in the summer. How are they going to get on? Could they, could they be top 10? Could they be bottom three? You, you haven't got a clue. So, that, you know, you, you never know with them either, do you? So, probably Rotherham nailed on. Wigan, I think they'll be in, in that mix. Reading will be around there in Bristol City. But beyond that, Luton, could they do a Huddersfield? Could they go from top to bottom with a bit of a struggle? I, I, I don't think they will. I think Nathan Jones is savvy enough. But... Um, I think they massively overachieved last season. And you you look at Barnsley, what they did in the year. They played Swansea in the playoffs as well, and they went you know from top six to relegation. So I think Luton have got enough about them to certainly avoid that. But you never know, dear. You never know. I think I think Wigan, Rotherham, third between Bristol City and Reading, maybe. But what you're saying is we should bet on Cardiff to go there. <laughs> I didn't say that, Gitto. Words <laughs> in my mouth, mate. <laughs> There's the headline, Wheels Online Journalist Tips Cardiff for Relegation. Um, nice. You crack on, mate. <laughs> <laughs> um, Steve, um, who, who are the ones you're looking at as um, relegation candidates? I think Rotherham and Wigan sort of have to be mentioned because just like Rotherham, Wigan literally are another one that bounces between the two divisions and they just can't seem to get a foothold when they when they come up. So... You know, I, I think those two, you've got to really fancy them to be bottom six, haven't you? I mean, Reading are an obvious one. They've got those financial issues, haven't they? They, they were poor last year. They probably, you know, if Derby hadn't had a deduction, they would have been in a lot more trouble, I think, when they're not saying they would have gone down. But they've they've lost their entire midfield as well over the summer. They've lost Laurent, Rinamorta and Whip over the summer. That's that's a heck of a gap for them to fill. Thing. They just don't have the finances either. I know they've been linked with one or two of our players, for example, haven't they? But I mean, you'd you'd be worried if you were Reading. I think, I mean, they, they could well go. I mean, um, I think Huddersfield might really struggle. They sold a couple. Um, the the manager's gone. I think the youth team coach has taken it. <coughs> like they're really going to strengthen much. I'd be worried if I was a Huddersfield fan. And so the really funny thing is, I think about Huddersfield as well, is that I I went to the game up there last year and obviously the game at our place. I actually thought they were crap. In both games, it's a bit of a mystery. How the hell they ended up there? Because we beat them one 0 at home. And I thought they were awful. And I remember in the second half up there, in one of the coldest games I've ever been to, we were literally camped in their half. They couldn't get out. So I'm not convinced Huddersfield have like were as good as maybe what we what they suggested last year. Anyway, and they've, they've lost a couple to Forest, for example. It could be a dark horse to go down. Um, there's, so... there's, there are those teams like every season, isn't it? There's one team that just kind of finds a way of winning and getting into the top six. And you're not quite sure how they've done it. Because when you look at them play, you're thinking, how on earth are these there? Let's face it, us under Steve Cooper in that sec- the second season when we actually made it to Wembley, you could probably make the argument, especially based on the second half of that season, that we fitted that description. But I think Huddersfield just had a hell of a lot of set-piece goals as well. Um, and, you know, they had a decent defence and a good goalkeeper, but they were very reliant on set pieces um, for their wins last season. And I can see why people are tipping them for to struggle this year, this time around. Yeah, I think they, they may struggle, I think. But obviously, we haven't mentioned Cardiff, and I think they are they're a team that's very unpredictable. I mean, they may, they may have signed these like geniuses that no one's heard of, or it could go badly wrong, or obviously it could be in the middle. We don't know, do we? But... I mean, I, I think if I was a Cardiff fan and Steve Morrison doing a rebuild, I wouldn't be overly optimistic, I've got to be honest. Mm, well, I'm not going to pass judgment on Cardiff at this stage of uh, the podcast. But uh, for me, I think 
yeah, you've named most of the teams, you know, that I'd, I'd suggest could be dragged into it. Um, Rotherham and Wigan are prime candidates, especially Rotherham. I think after the difficult summer they've had, um, Reading. I don't know. The thing is with Reading, they they can be they can be so bad, but they find a way of staying up somehow. Um, and I think that might be the case this season. I'm not sure if Huddersfield quite bad enough to go down. Uh, well, sorry, not quite bad enough, but I don't think I'd, I would take a heck of a collapse for them to actually go down. I'm not sure if that's going to happen. The team that I'm looking at most likely to join them is Birmingham because they seem like an absolute basket case of a club at the moment. They are all over the shop off the field. Um, and I don't think their squad is particularly great. You know, how Eustace does there as manager, we'll have to wait and see. Obviously, we, you know, clubs like us have tried to get him in the past as manager. Um, but it, it's a difficult club to go into. And yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd worry if I was a Birmingham fan. I think this may be the season that they finally go down into uh, League One. But um, we'll wait and see. Um, let's go back to discussing the Swans. But you've, you've touched on it. Where, where do you think, if you were to put your head on the block now, where do you expect the Swans to finish this season? Uh, if I'm being brutally honest, I think they'll be just outside that playoff spot. And I know that's not what I, I didn't commit to that in print. I actually said top six because I thought I genuinely thought they'd have had a couple more in by now. But that's the joy of writing a couple of weeks before deadlines. But um, I think they just might be short. Uh, one or two injuries here and there, it's gonna, it, it could hamper them. So unless they have a really good last month in the window, which I st- I'm still confident, I still think they'll get in two or three more and hopefully lose, you know, the, the couple of fringe players that they need to. But oh, it's, it's a tough ask to get that top six. Like you said, there's there's five that really should be in there with the parachute payments. Some of the other teams who've been in around, you know, I don't expect Huddersfield or Luton to be back up there again. But your Middlesbroughs, your Prestons, they've done some good business. So I think I'd probably go for around the eighth or ninth mark, if I'm being brutally honest, Gitter. Yeah, Steve, do you think we'll crack the top six? Not quite as things stand. I think I think it's very similar to Mitch thinking about eighth. I think that that's probably where we're at. We're just a little bit short. And, you know, it's the it's the lack of depth, I think, that's going to cause us the real issue because, you know, we, we're well covered in, in some positions, but then there's others where, you know, if, if the first choice player is out, then we really don't have uh, great options, I don't think. So, you know, and I haven't mentioned it yet, but I'm the goalkeeper that's you know, slightly concerned me a little bit as well. I think he he can be good, but he does have a mistake in him. So, yeah, I think we're slightly short, but that might change. I mean, like I said, I might be yeah, I might be willing to give a different answer once the transfer window is shut and I've seen a few games. But you know, obviously, we are making these predictions before a ball is kicked, and I think as things stand, we're slightly short of the playoffs. Yeah, I'm, I'm sorry that I'm going to have to be boring and agree with you, but yeah, that, I, I've written down eighth here. Um, sorry, listeners, it's it's monotonous this uh, this section of uh, the podcast. I I just what get what worries me is the defence. I think it was particularly bad last season for most most of the campaign. Uh, I know we got a lot of clean sheets, but um, I think that the, the clean sheets total disguised really what was a pretty chronic situation at the back. I just don't think we had the right shape. I don't think, you know, we we looked um, anywhere near good enough uh, during transitions and the problems were so severe. I'm thinking it would take a major improvement to get us up to the stage where we'd need to get into the playoffs. Now, that might happen. Uh, you know, that might have happened over the summer. Russell Martin, with time 
with a squad may have ironed out all those creases. But I just don't know if the defence is quite good enough, even with Darling coming in, even with you know the summer to to improve things, to to compensate really enough. Um, I, I think we're definitely capable of making the top six, along with a lot of other clubs, um, in, in what should be a very open championship. But my feeling is that we'll probably the. I think there are other teams that I would expect to finish sixth ahead of us. Um, Although with the goals of Obafemi and Piru, I think we should be able to put up much more of a challenge this season than we did last year. Um, and I'd, I'd, if I'm being honest, if we finish in the top 10, I don't think that would be a bad season. I think that would be you know, a substantial step, step forward. Um, and it would be nice to have that excitement of a, a playoff push um, just because last season unusually really for us we didn't really have anything to play for for the entire campaign it, it was uh, well it was pretty obvious relatively early in the season that we'd be too good to go down um but we never ever looked really like putting together a serious push for for the top six so it would be nice if we had something to get excited about this season instead of just spending the entire campaign in mid-table um Mitch, because we um, we like to um, discuss our friends down the road on this podcast, um, let's have a quick word about Cardiff. They've been through major changes this summer, um, probably the most radical uh, summer of change that they've had in, in generations, really. Um, what's your gut feeling on how their season will go? I'll be honest, Kit, I haven't got a clue. You know, we touched upon it earlier. Um, I think they'll be far too good to be worried about going down but I, I can't see them was it 18th they were last year a few three or four places behind the swans um and it was you know they were really poor in long spells last season um the jury's out on steve morrison i think even from cardiff fans you know there's been let's be honest that that rebuild and the reset that they've had this summer has it's been in the offing for years and they've just put it off with your neil warnocks and your mick mccarthy's neil harris so what I would say is give Steve Morrison credit for making sure that happened. Now it did need to happen. Um, whether it pays off this season, I, I I don't think it will. But it's for the long term benefit of the club because that they needed that they've needed it for such a long time, and you know they're no longer getting the parachute payments because obviously they, they went straight back down in was it seventeen eighteen when they went up. So um, it's something that should have happened a long time ago, in my opinion. They'll be better for this in the long run, but in the short term, it, it's probably going to be tough, as Swansea found out themselves now going into the fifth season of the championship. So um, you just don't know. Like you said, they've got some still some decent players there. Joe Rowell signing a, a new deal is a, a big bit business for them, but there's just a lot of unknown quantities in there, isn't there? So it's you really don't know. It's so uncertain, a little bit like Swansea last season. Of course, you know, I think Swansea were far more stable than what Cardiff are at the moment going into this season. So they could be a surprise package in terms of challenging the playoffs, but they could also be a team that flirts with relegation for a long period of the season. You really don't know, do you? Yeah, I, I don't think they'll <clears throat> massively miss any of the players that have been sold. I think... No, not at you all. Know, I think the players that have been sold have by and large been ones that have... Um, held them back, if anything, you know, even players like Eden Flint, who had decent season by his standards last year. I, I just, you know, you, you're not going to build a promotion chasing team around Eden Flint at this stage of his career. Um, Marlon Pack, Will Vokes, you know, they're, they're, they're deadwood. Um, Leandro Bakuna is just not a good player at this level. Um, people like Josh Murphy has been 
just sucking wages out of that club really mm. for like some kind of vampire for the last few years it's um it, you know I, I don't think they'll miss any of the players that they've that they've let go but I, at the same time I'm looking at the players they brought in and there are a couple who you think I Rinamote is the one that you'd expect to fit in quite well in that midfield I think he'll he'll do well there Romain Sawyers should be a good signing I think in most championship clubs he would be a good signing for them um Shea Ojo's been there before and done okay. I've always liked Marlon Romeo as a right back. Um, so, you know, there's some decent signings there. Um, but I don't see signings there that are going to take them to the next level, personally. I, I think there are a couple of young signings there who could turn out okay down the line. But this season now, I, I just don't really see it. And for the moment, at least, they look very short up front. Um, I'm not really seeing where the goals are going to come from. Um, so I'm. I don't think there'll be much difference between where they were last season and where where they'll finish this season. I I think they'll be bottom half. I'll go for around fifteenth, roughly where the Swans finished last season. Um, Steve, where do you think? Uh, well, how do you think their season's going to go? Uh, I would be a bit concerned if I'm a Cardiff fan. I mean, like I've already touched on, I don't think Steve Morrison is a particularly good manager. I don't like that he seems to dig out young players. Really. Um, at some point, I think he's going to throw a few people under the bus, and the players are actually going to stop playing for him. So I'm not sure he's going to last there, and I'm not convinced he'll be there this time next year. Um, but like I said, they're an unknown quantity. We made a lot of signings, changed it round. Obviously, I could be very wrong, and they might be the surprise package and do really well. But I don't think that will happen. I think you know they'll they'll be bottom half most likely. But they, I think they could end up in a, a relegation scrap. It wouldn't be a a massive shock to me because I, I really don't think they're a particularly good side. And like I said, the manager doesn't convince me either. So, you know, I'm, I, I wouldn't be feeling a lot of optimism going into this season if I supported Cardiff. Mitch, just um, before we move on from Cardiff, kind of as a journalist who interviews managers, what do you take on Steve Morrison? Because he, Definitely gives the media good lines. Um, he's perfectly happy to slate his own players very openly. I mean, he must be a dream for, for a journalist. Yeah, I mean, I, I never really deal with him. I've done a couple of bits with him. Um, but yeah, I mean, you speak to the Cardiff lads and, you know, he's, he's done barely anything with local media in pre-season. I think it's all been in-house, which I don't know the reasons behind that, but it's, it seems a bit strange for me. Um, Russell Martin's been the polar opposite. You know, I was at Plymouth and he was more than happy to chat to us for 10 minutes and then another 10 minutes just general catching up how the summer's been. And, you know, I, Russell Martin, I think's a phenomenal character. His backroom staff, funny enough, I bumped into Matt Gill while he was shopping uh, at the weekend. He was with his little girl who's having his, uh, uh, sorry, her birthday. Um, and, you know, they're, they're very pleasant. They're happy to give you the time. And I think Swansea are very lucky to have such a good group of coaching staff in but in terms of Steve Morrison you know like I said I, I don't really want to judge too much because I don't deal with him on a daily or weekly basis but you know I think you boys know as well you hear it from the outside you mentioned him digging out players and a lot of people don't like that and it's very old approach I think if you go back 10 20 years it would have probably been far more accepted whereas now I don't think it is as much some players thrive on that you know if, if they get called out they'll, they'll do everything they can to, to prove those those comments wrong so maybe that's the approach he takes and it'll work with some but like Steve says <clears throat> if it doesn't work 
he could easily be out of a job in December, January. And you just don't know how it's going to pan out with him there. So I think he deserves a lot of credit for for taking the bullet and, and making these huge changes because it had to happen at that club. I think it's long overdue. Um, but is he the right man to go the next step? I'm, I'm not entirely sure. But yeah, Gitto, I think you're bang on in terms of giving a quote. He's, a, he's probably a journalist's dream in terms of uh, having stuff to write. Yeah, Mitch, what I was going to ask you actually was, uh, what are the, the Swansea Cardiff games like to cover? from a journalist perspective obviously I know you're not from the area originally but they, they must be uh, great fun from your point of view yeah last season was alright wasn't it um, <laughs> well for, for our point of view yeah <laughs> it's the first doob I've ever covered um, no it was, it was excellent Steve um, the first one I covered was the Ben Wilmot that obviously there was a massive gap from the Premier League era to then um, and I only came down well to South Wales originally in 2015 and then at Media Wales in 2016 so the Ben Wilmot derby was phenomenal, you know, a uh, packed out away end they were in because of the, the way that the buses work, as you know, having been on them, boys. Um, the atmosphere builds really, really early, 12 o'clock kickoff on a Sunday morning or Sunday lunchtime. The atmosphere was fantastic and I absolutely loved it, covering it. And then, you know, the, the emotion when Wilmot scores that winner and you see the relief, the, the, the celebrations afterwards, the way Steve Cooper was and the players, the interviews you get and the social media for hours and days after. And then, you know, this season was just on another level. 3-0 was just unbelievable. And then to go and do what they did at Cardiff City Stadium was was outrageous. And, you know, I, I think I've seen pictures of you, Steve, in the away end. And I think that sums it all up. It must have been few boys. It must have just been off the charts unbelievable. And, you know, those are memories and pictures and videos that will live with you for the rest of your lives. So to be a part of that and cover it from a journalist point of view, it was, it was an absolute pleasure. And it was just a masterclass on the day. And you've got to give the coaching staff so much credit for, for how they nailed those two fixtures. Emotionally, you look at the club as a whole, the media team, I thought they nailed it, the way they built it up and the way they folded it up afterwards. The chefs, the coaches, the people at the reception, it was just fantastic. It was more of a, it was such an occasion. And, you know, those are memories that will live with the fans for such a long time, or for the rest of your lives. Yeah, I wouldn't disagree with that, to be honest. It was, uh, you know, the only problem now is how do we top it? 8 <laughs> nil next year, is it? <laughs> yeah, can we do the double-double? A doob-doob. Doob-doob. That's the main target for this season, obviously, the doob-doob. Um, before we finish off our um, season preview, I uh, just want to get your opinions on who is likely to be the Swans player of the year this season and who's going to be the top scorer, which usually is quite a simple question to answer, but may not be this time around, Mitch. Um, who have you got in mind for both of those gongs? Yeah, I mean, I think the obvious one, if he's still here, Joel Pirro for top scorer, I think I don't think you can doubt that. I mean, I fancy Michael Obafemi to have a really good season. I think he's going to be around that 15-goal mark. If he can crack, the, you know, 15-plus, I think Swans will have a great season, especially if Pirro stays here, because um, he looks certain to get minimum 15, maybe closer to the 20-plus mark. Player of the season, I really don't know, because if you ask me before his injury, I think Joe Allen, you know, I know he wasn't a Swansea player then, but... I think he was just going to be so key, but I think he might have to be carefully managed in some spells. So we might not see the best of him every week. You'll probably get really good games out of him, but maybe not quite week in, week out while he sort of manages that injury and looks ahead to the World Cup. So I think you're probably looking at, yeah, I don't want to say Piro because that's probably too obvious. I think Patterson's ready to explode this season. He had a great year last year. Chatting to him at Charlton on Saturday, he felt in a really good place. 
Harry Darling, okay, mistake aside on Saturday, that's how the way you'd rather that happen in pre-season. What a player he is. I think he's going to have a great year and he's probably going to show that he is more than capable of being that positive link-up between Andy Fisher and the defence in the midfield, which was probably lacking for long spells last year, partly because Russell Martin had to chop and change the defence so often, understandably, because they didn't have the, the combinations they wanted. But I think the back three is going to be far more settled this season. Kyle Norton, obviously, is going to play a big part in that. But I think Harry Darling is going to be a huge player this season. So maybe I'd go for him. Steve, who are you thinking? Um, I think this is quite a tough one, actually. I, I think it could be Oberfemi. I think, obviously, he was <coughs> brilliant in the second half of last season. If he can produce that over a full season, then it could well be him, couldn't it? I mean, the truth is we know Perot could go in terms of, of top scorer. So, you know, that automatically makes me think that Oberfemi might be the more likely one to, to be the top scorer. But I, I honestly think he could be the top scorer and be the player of the year. I think he certainly got the... The potential for it. I mean, you're looking at the other players. I mean, Patterson would be an obvious candidate. I mean, if Grimes can maybe add a little bit more in terms of goals and assists, I mean, that could that would make a difference. Um, I think Darling, I think, could be really good, but at the same time, you wonder if defensively we're, we're still not going to be quite what maybe we need to be, and that could count against him then. So, but you know, it'll be interesting, or it could be a player that hasn't come through the door yet. You, you don't know, do you? So, no, but I think they're the, the contenders um, at the moment. But it, it can change, can't it? You don't know. I mean, I still think Olivier and Cham has got, you know, a lot to give if we can get the best out of him. You know, I'd like to think that he'd be better again this year. And I mean, if he was to, you know, take the division by storm, it could be him. But unfortunately, I don't think we're going to quite get that from him. But I'd like to think that it's in there somewhere. What I would give to see Olivier and Cham have that kind of season, obviously, honestly, because when he plays well, man, is he a beautiful player to watch. Like, even when he came on against Charlton the weekend, like that cross-field pass in the build-up to to um, Manning's goal, you're just thinking, that's beautiful. I mean, everything he does is elegant when he's, um, you know, when he's fit and when he's firing. But um, obviously, we know that inconsistencies to his game are um are an issue and um yeah unfortunately i don't see him turning into that player but for me i i i would actually back obafemi to tip joel peru to the top scorers title i think he's probably going to be the out and out striker in the team and just the way he was playing at the end of last season you know the boost that he's had from playing for ireland and that get the the performance that he had against scotland I just got a feeling about Obafemi that this could be a big season for him. I'd love to see him carry on developing the way he has since since Christmas. Um, and if I was to back anybody to get the Player of the Season award, um, I would optimistically say that Piru is going to stay here for the entire season and that he's going to have another amazing campaign like he did last year, uh, and that he's going to have um, you know a major contribution not just in goals but in the build-up um, play as well uh, and. You know, if the two of those can really click this season the way they did towards the end of last season, I think there's a real potential for us to be a fantastic team to watch, a very exciting team to watch. And, you know, their goals, we're going to need those goals probably to get us near the top six. Um, so I'd love it to be the case that they keep on developing the way they did. And, um, uh, and yeah, give us give us something to hope for. Um, before we finish this podcast, um, Mitch, just want to go um, away from the Swans for a second and discuss uh, another team that's very, very close to our hearts, the Welsh national team. Um, what's it been like 
looking at well covering them over the last um year or two um because uh, you know between the the euros the 2020 euros which were obviously delayed a year but for covid uh, again a lot of games there were played behind closed doors and then in this qualifying campaign we've you know managed to finally get ourselves across the line and qualify for the world cup culminating that game against ukraine what what's what's it been like following their um, exploits over recent years Oh, Gitter, what a pleasure. I mean, it's been phenomenal. If I wasn't there as a journal, I'd be there as a fan. So, um, you know, we, we, the three of us have all been there through the doldrums, some tough games, horrible performances, players pulling out here, there and everywhere. And, you know, Euro 2016, I don't think we ever thought that was going to be topped. And then, yeah, another Euros four years later, or five years with a, with a postponement, and then a World Cup. I mean, it's unbelievable. So, yeah, incredibly fortunate to be covering them at all but in this period you know even more so so um that ukraine game was special it was it was a tough watch because i thought ukraine acquitted themselves incredibly well and, and they were phenomenal in the semi-final at scotland as well so um did a very good job to, to get through that one and you know you look at the group i think it's a i wouldn't say a favorable group but it's one that wales can certainly feel confident of, of getting out of if they can get a good result in that first game against the usa and then um, Iran, bit of an unknown quantity. So, you know, if you get a good result in that first match, then you'd like to think they'll be in a good position to, to get through the group. And um, let's not go into England. I think uh, I don't think anybody's going to look too far ahead on that one. But um, yeah, it's just been a pleasure. Last month was incredible, covering four Nations League matches as well and the trips you get to do. I know, Steve, you went out there as well, didn't you, last month? And um, they're just memories that stay with you. And even, you know, it's almost like when especially when you're a fan and even, I suppose, as a journal, when you're just working, the results kind of don't matter. You know, it makes it far more enjoyable if, if Wales get the results you want. But um, the trips, the memories, the the people you meet and chat to and you go abroad, it's just an absolute joy. Um, I'm very lucky to be able to do it. And in this of all eras with um, 2016 onwards, it's, it's been pretty special, hasn't it, lads? Absolutely. And have you won the uh, Wales Online Lottery to go out to Qatar? Uh, I think so. Um, still waiting on certain bits to be resolved. But yeah, I've been told hopefully we can be there. So still waiting on that to be all confirmed. So I'm not going to count my chickens until it's done. Oh, fantastic. And how do you expect that World Cup to go for Wales? It's it's an unusual one because of the time of year, the location, etc., um, and the fact that we are in the World Cup to begin with, in fairness, um, do you think you know it's it's a matter of we qualified and that's that you know that's the most important thing, or do you think they'll be disappointed if we don't get out of the group stage? I actually think it's a bit of both. Get I don't know what you two feel, but you know, like I say, we're first one since '58. I mean, getting there is just astonishing. But when you look at that group, you think, are USA better than Wales? Are Iran better than Wales? Okay, England obviously better. They've got far bigger talent pool and you know if we get a draw out of that game I think any Wales fan would bite your hand off but um, you would like to think we could get four points maybe even six out of that first two games and and have a good chance of getting through so um, I'm sort of torn between that bracket of enjoy the ride and also know we've, we've, we've been to back-to-back Euros we should be competing now so realistically I think if we get through and lose last 16 I think that's about where we should be aiming for and it's probably about on par especially if we played the Netherlands in the, in the last 16 going out in the group would be disappointing but heck we'd be in a World Cup so bit of both really get up oh, Joe uh, the, the World Cup's too far away for me to get too excited about it <laughs> I need to keep my feet on the floor 
we'll have to uh, wait for the swans to get us excited before that. But um, thank you very much, Miss, for joining us. Thanks to Steve, as always. And thank you for listening to us. Uh, hopefully we've got you in the mood for the season and uh, hopefully the swans will keep those moods high with a win against Rotherham on Saturday. Um, hopefully, hopefully we'll be uh, back next week to review the game. But until then, thank you very much for listening. Mm-hmm.